been almost a year since we've had the band Wave Sauce on the podcast. Well, they're going to open up episode 210 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Deep Surf. It's from their album Stop Go. You can find them over at wavesauce.com or just listen to the rest of this episode because you'll hear that song in its entirety at the end of this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and welcome to the third Thursday of the month here on Monster Kid Radio. That means it's Cthulhu Thursday, and we're going to do something a little Lovecraft-flavored here on the show. I'll tell you about that here in a second. First, I want to tell you about the person who's going to be joining me for this episode, one of my favorite doctors, Dr. Gangrene. Larry Underwood is coming back to Monster Kid Radio, and we're going to talk about the Vincent Price film, The Haunted Palace, directed by Roger Corman, released in 1963. It's got a hell of a cast. We're going to talk a little bit about that and talk about the short story that it was based on. Despite what the movie poster told you, it's not based on an Edgar Allan Poe story. Nope, it's Lovecraft, and we're going to get into that right after this. desires transcend reality. The mysterious powers of black magic, these you will explore. Now, what is it you need? You got some dried blood off a bat in the house? The raven will take you careening through the darkest of dangers into the ominous mystery of a master magician's evil castle. Afraid, my dear? I offer you a choice. The secret of your hand manipulations or this against this. Well, don't just stand there. Do something. This is no answer. Very well, then. Adieu to the death. Just three years ago, the Joy Cinema and Pub in Tigard, Oregon, stood on the brink of closing down for good. With 35mm film going away, the only option for survival was to make the expensive conversion to digital projection. Now, while many theater owners saw only the expense... 
The team at the Joy saw the possibilities. They saw that the Joy needed passion and personality, and they believed that couples and families should be able to see a movie without spending a fortune. Today, the Joy is a viable business once again and a vital part of life in the Tigered and podcasting community. But now, with a significant increase in rent looming, the team at the Joy is turning to the community to help pay off digital projection and opening costs once and for all. We all know that asking for contributions isn't easy. The Joy's owners have been paying down these costs since opening, but becoming debt-free is the one way the Joy is sure to stay in business for years to come. With this campaign and with your help, the Joy Cinema hopes to raise $50,000. The Joy Cinema and Pub in Tigard, Oregon is important to me, Derek M. Cook, because the man who runs the show there, Jeff Punk Rock Martin, loves the kinds of movies that I love, so much so that he's always bringing in classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Of all the theaters that I've gone to for a Monster Kid Radio crash, the Joy Cinema is the one that we've gone to the most. Jeff has asked me to introduce several films there in the past. Every time I go, even if I'm not getting up on stage and talking about the movie that we're about to watch, I always have a really good time. And I'm not just talking about watching the movie, I'm talking about the entire movie-going experience, up to and including chatting with Jeff before the film, or maybe even sneaking out to refill at the concession stand and talking to him a little bit more about whatever movie we're watching, whatever monster movie posters he has on the wall, whatever. Jeff's a good guy. The Joy Cinema's a great theater, and I want to see it succeed. The Indiegogo campaign ends next month. There are several amazing rewards available for contributing to the Indiegogo campaign, starting with a heartfelt thanks and ending with what they're calling the lifer a lifetime pass for free admission. Now, I know that people who listen to this podcast aren't necessarily in the Tigard, Oregon area. So you might be asking yourself, what's in it for you? Well, one, you get to help an amazing local business keep running and fighting the good fight and showing monster movies on a regular basis. And depending on what podcast you're listening to right now, 1951 Down Place is the Hammer Films podcast I co-produce with Casey Criswell and Scott Morris. The Joy Cinema has shown some Hammer Films during their Weird Wednesday series. If you're listening to this on the Mimiverse Monthly, well, the Joy Cinema has screened The Giant Spider. In fact, The Giant Spider had its Pacific Northwest premiere at The Joy, and I'm talking with Jeff about bringing in some other Christopher R. Mim movies in the future. The bottom line is this. The Joy Cinema, they're one of the good guys. They could use our help. You can learn about them at their website at thejoycinema.com or go to indiegogo.com and just do a search for Joy Cinema. You are invited to an open house where horror will be your host. The Haunted Palace. You, who find a kind of macabre joyousness in the horrifying, will enjoy yourselves as in ecstasy in The Haunted Palace, starring Vincent Price, a being who lived and died and lives again. I'll not have my fill of revenge until this village is a graveyard. And intriguing Deborah Paget, whose appealing beauty inflames the blood of the bloodless. Charles, please. Well, I've been very busy, but I'm back now. Charles! No, no, have the whole no. night before. His violent, no. torturous passions inflict no. both pain and terror. 
Lon Chaney, carrying on a family tradition of masterful motion picture horror, while the strange and feared new master of the haunted palace reaches for the skeleton of one long dead. He's taken her mind, her soul. Just like the others. Really, this is outrageous. Let's be about it. From this night onward, you shall bear my curse. Burn him! Surely after all these years, I'm entitled to a few small amusements. When Vincent Price met H.P. Lovecraft, courtesy of Roger Corman and kind of sort of Edgar Allan Poe, we're going to talk about the Haunted Palace and the case of Charles Dexter Ward a little bit here on this episode of Monster Kid Radio, going out on the third Thursday of the month. It's Cthulhu Thursday here on Monster Kid Radio, and I wanted to bring along my favorite doctor, and one of my very good friends, Larry Underwood, a.k.a. Dr. Gain Green, big Vincent Price fan and regular guest here on Musk Kid Radio. How's it going, sir? Thanks for having me on. It's going just great. Glad to be here. Can't talk about Vincent Price without thinking about what you do with the fantastic films of Vincent Price. And you know, since we're talking about The Haunted Palace, I had to have you on. But I also know that you're a Lovecraft fan. That's true. Big fan of Lovecraft and this movie in particular. How long have you been reading Lovecraft? I, you know, I first discovered him sometime in the 80s, I guess. And then we visit it every so often. For me, I first discovered Lovecraft through the pages of the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game book. Never got a chance to play it, but I had the book, darn it. (laughs) So I became a little bit aware of who he was, that sort of thing. Uh, I was more aware of people like Robert E. Howard beforehand. Okay. Uh, I was a big Poe fan first, and then by extension after Poe just kind of discovered Lovecraft at some point. And then this film sometime in the 80s also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, My first Lovecraft story was The Rats in the Walls, which is a fantastic story. And then, of course, I've gone back and I've read – I think I've read all of his fiction, all of his short stories. And The Case of Charles Dexter Ward was one that was published after Lovecraft passed away. Yeah, this was one I had not read before. Oh, really? Uh, I have not read all this stuff, but I had not actually read this one before, so it was good to finally get a chance to. It was written in early 1927 and released in 1941 in the pages of Weird Tales magazine. It's about a 50,000-word short story. It appeared in two issues of Weird Tales in 1941. And from what I've heard, Lovecraft himself wasn't a big fan of this story. Well, I think it definitely needed editing because it's very wordy. I think mm-hmm. if he had revisited it, he would have polished it and trimmed and gotten it to a point where he was happy with it. But the fact that he set it aside definitely you know, shows that he didn't think much of it or, or just not enough so that didn't want to put it out for whatever reason. I know during his life, he was very, at least at the beginning of his publishing career, he was very... You can publish my story, but you cannot change a word of it. So I don't think the editors really did much good for him. So, yeah, maybe another pass. Although Lovecraft was kind of wordy anyway. He liked to talk long and big a lot of his <laughs> yeah, stuff. So That's for sure. Uh, even for modern audiences, obviously, that would be a problem. But even if you're into the pulp fiction, the weird fiction of this era, this one – it is a little long and, and dry in spots. He could have cleaned it up a little bit. We're, say, we're talking about this master of fiction. Oh, yeah, he should have done this, this, and this. But 
you know, it could have used a little bit of trimming. It was un- an unfinished work. I mean, it was first draft, I think, is what basically uh, what the thing was. Yeah. Yeah. This the short story is important, I feel like, because it's got a couple of Lovecraftian bits. The Necronomicon is mentioned, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, it's not quite called the Necronomicon, but the Necronomicon does turn up in the Haunted Palace. But this short story is also the first time you hear mention of the Cthulhu god or thing, Yogg-Sothoth. Ah. This is yeah. the first time you hear that in a Lovecraft tale. So that's in there as well. But the Haunted Palace... It was not built as a Lovecraft story. It was built as Poe. Well, they wanted to fit it in with the rest of the Corman series, although I don't think Corman originally intended to, to have. I think that was a total studio thing. From what I understand, the studio had no idea who Lovecraft was. I mean, we're talking in the 60s now. This is a 1963 film, and while Lovecraft has certainly enjoyed a renaissance or a, a rejuvenation in the pop culture, I mean, I own a pair of Cthulhu slippers, I think, for crying out loud. But <laughs> and if I don't, I should. But, <laughs> I mean, Lovecraft's out there. But back in the '60s, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have YouTube series talking about Cthulhu. We didn't have immediate access to all of his tales as quickly as we do now. So the studios had no idea. So in order to yeah. get it made, they had to call it an Edgar Allan Poe film. Well, this is the first film adaptation of a Lovecraft story. Mm-hmm. 1963. It would have been interesting to see had they embraced it and continued on, let Corman take a crack at doing adaptations of some other Lovecraft works. That could have been really interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, and of course, having somebody like Vincent Price speaking dialogue, at least inspired by Lovecraft's writing. I mean, come on. (laughs) It's hard to go wrong with that. Corman obviously was a fan. The look and feel of this movie is very different from the rest. I mean, it fits in with the rest of the post stuff because it has a certain level of polish and professionalism to it. But it's darker and it's definitely more serious in in nature. I don't. No, that makes sense. Some of the Edgar Allan Poe there. I did it. Some of the Edgar Allan Poe films, the Poe cycle. There is a, a sense of jocularity in mm-hmm. some of the way the lines are delivered and Price's performance. I mean, they're still good movies and they're kind of they're good and spooky. But there is a sense of playfulness at times, mm-hmm. which I think makes those torture devices and some of those things even more <laughs> fun to watch. But this one, it doesn't seem to have that sense of dark playfulness to it. It's definitely played straight. And I'll tell you, Price's performance in this, he is not doing the, the hammy, tongue-in-cheek no. thing that he does so well. This really reminds me a lot of his performance in Witchfinder General. yes. It's very much played straight. It's serious and dark in tone. But he also, you know, he plays two parts in this. He plays Charles Dexter Ward, but then he also plays his ancestor, Joseph Kerwin. And he totally plays both parts differently. And it, it's really neat to watch the, the change in his facial features and his expressions mm-hmm. and the way he delivers lines. There's just a little bit of makeup put on when he's Kerwin, but... It's a pretty stark contrast between the two. Yeah, I was going to say, minimal makeup change. Yeah. Not very much at all. And my favorite scenes are when you actually see on camera the transition take place. Because mm-hmm. as Charles Dexter Ward, he's got a light behind his eyes. He's smiling. He's, he's, I mean, he's a little freaked out by what's going on, but he's not possessed by anything bad. And then when he turns into Joseph Kerwin, his eyes tighten. It's like he moves his cheekbones back somehow. It's pretty impressive. 
Yeah. And even without a little bit of makeup change, they they didn't need the makeup. The performance itself is so clearly two different beings. Mm-hmm. This is a neat performance from Price. Oh, and, and like I said, a, one of my favorite. Yeah, and a precursor to the Witchfinder General, which is oh, wow. a lot of people's top Price performance of all time. I think when I had you on the show to begin with, the very first time we talked about our favorite Vincent Price movies, and Witchfinder General was my number one because of his performance. Mm-hmm. In that, but this one, I'd say I probably put maybe four or five because I love him in this. I love yeah. him in this. One of my favorites. It's a good one. The story is interesting in this one because it's adapted by Charles Beaumont, mm-hmm. um, writer who is frequent Roger Corman contributor. He adapted it from the, um, of course, from the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft story. But this wasn't his first visit with Lovecraft. He did a episode of One Step Beyond called The Captain's Guests. And I've hosted that before. In that, you have a guy who buys a, a house that has this portrait in it, and he becomes possessed by the portrait. Oh, really? Yeah. And it, so it's very clearly another. And that was in 1959. So that's another Charles Dexter Ward reference there from the same writer. Huh. Yeah, Charles Beaumont's career is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a lot of the work for Corman. He did a lot of Twilight Zone. He wrote The Intruder, which is a Roger Corman film with William Shatner that it's not a genre film, but man, it's good. So I would recommend that one quite a bit. But Beaumont's career, he had a lot of genre fiction under his belt. Yeah. And I didn't realize that he had written for One Step Beyond. That's great. Yeah. Did Burn Witch Burn, The Premature Burial. He's he's an interesting guy. Burn Witch Burn is another favorite of mine. And then also they brought in Francis Ford Coppola to do dialogue polish on this. Oh, did he is, really? I had no yeah. idea. So he's he's credited under the writers for this movie, but yeah. Wow. Kind of interesting. I know Coppola worked for Corman at the beginning of his career. So that's mm-hmm. so Coppola wrote some Lovecraftian film. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how many people got their start through Roger Corman. Yeah. Yep. You know, we would be remiss if we didn't mentioned the music in this movie that is amazing oh, i love the score i'm the soundtrack junkie people know ronald stein did a lot of work for roger corman and i mean i love ronald stein's music anyway i mean he did a lot of non-corman but my favorite mm-hmm. stein music is corman film soundtracks yeah. yeah i was looking through what he had done i mean he did you know some of those early corman movies that conquered the world she mm-hmm. creature invasion of the saucer men he even did the larry buchanan movies yep. and spider baby i'm a big fan of his, his uh, dementia 13 score i think it's that's really great. good great yeah that's a great soundtrack yeah but it, the one for this one is very memorable i've had that theme running through my head ever since i watched this it's just stuck you yep. know i woke up with it playing in my head on loop <laughs> yeah no it's fantastic <laughs> work i mean if people aren't familiar with ronald stein's music they need to be because it's really good. I've got the soundtrack for this. I, I listen to it on my iPod quite a bit. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's some fantastic work. I want to mention somebody else that was in this movie that was kind of sort of in a previous film at, with at least the voice of Vincent Price. I want to talk about one of the big guns when it comes to classic horror movies, Lon Chaney Jr. Right on. Now, yeah. this is the first time he appeared. And I think the only time he appeared on screen with Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Price did the voiceover narration at the end of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. So I guess technically they're in the same movie together, but this is the first time you see him interacting. And this is towards the end, you know, getting towards the end of Lon Chaney's career. And we all kind of know what happened with Lon Chaney and you know, how bad things got for him. But I don't feel like he's there yet in this film. He's still kind of a robust figure and maybe he's overacting a little bit, but 
I thought it was great. Oh, yeah. I really like him in this. I think he has a couple of different shades of characterization going on here where with Charles Dexter Ward, he's the friendly, I'm the caretaker. I take care of the place. You know, no problem. Come on. I've got your room ready. But as soon as he sees Ward change to Kerwin, he's a collaborator and he's just as <laughs> in, in the on the dark side as Kerwin. And I love it. I, I was reading something from Price this morning talking about this film, that this was the only time I think that they worked together, but he was saying this was the first time they had met and that he was interested to to work with him and that Lon was not well. He was ill and didn't feel very well. So he really didn't get to interact with him a whole lot, but talking about how much everyone liked him and having him on set. So mm-hmm. There's somebody else in this movie that appeared in a previous film with Price as well. Woo Woo Cook, Elisha Cook Jr. from The House of Haunted Hill. Oh, yeah. Elijah Cook and Vincent Price, they were in a couple of movies together, film in the 40s called The Long Night and then The House on Haunted Hill and this one. I always liked his work in House on Haunted Hill. Mm-hmm. He plays a blind guy in, in The Long Night. It's a film noir. Mm-hmm. Pretty good little movie. I called him Woo Woo Cook because from what I understand, that was his nickname and he totally embraced it and actually signed autographs as Woo Woo Cook. Interesting. And in one of the commentary tracks for The Haunted Palace, I learned that Vincent Price considered Elijah Cook kind of a good luck charm because he was in House on Haunted Hill, which was one of the first movies that Vincent Price made a lot of money on. Mm. So That to me is the, the – I've said this before, but House on Haunted Hill to me is the quintessential Price movie. And it's interesting – I. I watched Victoria Price give her talk, and she said the same thing. And I just kind of pointed at her and nodded because <laughs> she, she said the same thing. I wish I could have seen thing. that in the audience. Just was like, it, you pointing and like, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of nodded and just kind of pointed a little bit like, yeah, 100% agree with you because to me it's the it's the performance in my mind that I think of him and the, the suit, the dapper host. Mm-hmm. And that to me is Vincent Price. I think you've told me that that kind of inspired you to get into hosting a little bit. Yeah, that's one of one of my horror host inspirations for yep. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should have just gone with that look—just the suit and tie and the dapper <laughs> host. Can you talk like Vincent Price? So, can you affect that kind no, of? No, yeah. I cannot. I don't I've think tried. anybody can. And I believe this was Deborah Paget's last film. She plays the female lead in the movie. Uh, she was previously in like Tales of Terror and a few other horror films, as well as some westerns. She was in an Elvis Presley movie. Huh, interesting. Uh, she was in The Ten Commandments. Wow. So you, so you have a Vincent yeah. Price connection there. Definitely. Which I would never consider The Ten Commandments a Vincent Price film until I watched your series. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And he gets to get killed by uh, Charlton Heston, which is pretty fantastic. Who gets to say that? I mean, come on. Yeah. So overall, I think the cast did a really good job bringing the story to life, which is saying something considering that the original story itself, it feels like a story of somebody telling you a story. To me, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel very active. It feels rather passive. I think there's some really interesting ideas in it, and I think it's a good story, but it still feels passive. And I, I feel like that's an issue with a lot of Lovecraft stories that you have this sense of you're not in real danger. None of the characters are in real danger because they at least lived long enough to, and as I sit here writing this tale, you know? Yeah, And I get that vibe from the case of Charles Dexter Ward as well. Whereas The Haunted Palace is pretty active. There's a lot of things happening. There's multiple characters. There's a strongly drawn female character, or at least as strong as she could be in a 1960 Roger Corman film, which is something Lovecraft hardly ever did. Mm-hmm. So there are some changes and some tweaks here. And the story itself, while some of the pieces are the same, 
the building blocks are there. It's it's a completely different kind of story. I mean, there's possession. You don't see that in the original as much. And, I mean, it's, it's two different stories, but it's got all the Lovecraft trappings. And the whole subplot of the, the thing in the pit that yeah. they're bringing girls in from the, from the town to mate with that has produced all these hideous offspring that uh, these mutants. There, there are a lot of moments in the film that seem like either fabricated from whole cloth or things that are just kind of thrown in there and then never touched on again. And pulled from other Lovecraft stories, like setting it in Arkham. Right, because the original story, it's in Providence, isn't it? Yeah. Which is another one of Lovecraft's locations that he used quite a bit of. But yeah, this is in Arkham. You've got these things walking around the city streets that have no eyes or deformities on their faces, which I don't think we had in the story. No. And here's another neat bit of trivia that I discovered this morning when I was researching this. The art director for this movie, a guy Uh named Daniel Haller, went on to direct the Dunwich Horror and Die Monster Die. Which I think is awesome, and I want to do a Daniel Haller special of some sort. I don't know how, but I think that's amazing because that was brought up in the commentary that I was watching. There's a scene like in the basement, secret lab sort of area. You see this big insignia circular thing on the wall and it's kind of looks Aztecan almost and they were talking about how he designed that and supposedly that appears in the other two films somewhere he was obviously beating that Lovecraft drum and, and a big fan of it and the fact that he was inspired enough after this to go on to do his own films is pretty cool a couple of the films that I think are really I love Die Monster Die mm-hmm. I know it's got issues and I know it's not as Lovecraftian as it could be and we'll talk about that when I do a Boris Karloff beats H.P. Lovecraft episode in the future, but I love that one quite a bit. And the Dunwich Horror is a lot of fun as well, just to see Dean Stockwell with that 1970s curly hair haircut. (laughs) Yeah, it's a fun one. (laughs) With excellent music by Les Baxter, but I digress. (laughs) (laughs) I do recommend people check out The Haunted Palace. I think people would enjoy reading Charles Dexter Ward. Uh, Just, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a disclaimer, but... It really is a different kind of story than what you're going to get with The Haunted Palace. And it is wordier than most Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's no resurrection through essential salts in The Haunted Palace, which is what you get in the case of Charles Dexter Ward. The Haunted Palace is more of a possession. Can we talk about the painting in The Haunted Palace? Yes. Got a little bit of a Van Gogh look to it. Kind I of love a, it. Vincent, yeah. You know, a Vincent Price looking at Vincent Van Gogh, you know, like painting. It's great. And I wonder if someone owns it, but then, of course, no one does because you see what happens to it when they, they destroy it. It's destroyed oh, later. In don't the, you just cringe when you see something like that happen in a movie? Yeah. And just like, man, I hope that was uh, a copy. Like, wh- why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> but the same thing happens in the um, uh, the One Step Beyond episode. They, they th- toss it in the fire also, I believe. Man, why would you do that? God, I'm trying to imagine that happening today. Like somebody – you know, hiring out Daniel Horn to do a painting and then just tossing it in the fire when you're done with the film. It's like, no, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, but yeah, it's this cool Vincent Van Gogh-looking type painting. It's inspired by Van Gogh. And just to have Vincent looking at Vincent, I'm sure Vincent Price was thrilled to have some artwork on the wall because he was such an art oh, collector yeah. and art lover. Yeah, it's a neat tie-in. It really is. And the scenes that he has just staring at that painting – the back for the power of the painting over of over Ward, transmitting Kerwin into him, it's or, or bringing Kerwin forward. Those are some of the most intense scenes in the film, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go back and cool. forth and just, man, so good. What's neat about this movie is Price isn't the only person that has dual roles. You got all the town folks, which yeah. I guess I say it's neat. I guess it's neat, but it's kind of silly at the same time that all their ancestors look exactly the same. And nobody left town. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it was but, a cursed uh, place, but I'm going to stay right here. I mean, just a real brief synopsis of it is yeah. Price, as, as Charles Dexter Ward, shows up with his wife in this town and all the local townspeople warn him away. I'm sorry. It's, the whole movie starts with his ancestor, who is a witch, being burned at the stake because he's been bringing these young girls, hypnotizing them, bringing them in, and they mate with this, you find out later, this thing down in the in the pit and has created all those offspring, like I mentioned. But anyway, they drag him out and they burn him alive. And then it cuts forward to modern day at the time. Now, of course, as they're burning him, he does what every good witch does in a monster movie. And he curses the town and the people as he's going out. That's right. Lays yeah. a curse on him. And then 110 years later, his ancestor comes to town and inherits the palace. And when he gets there, he sees the portrait on the wall and is possessed. And the rest of the story goes on from there. But the painting definitely plays a major part in the movie and is the, the main catalyst for the story. There's one scene where Ward gains control enough of his body to pack up with his wife and get out of there. And Simon Orne, played by Lon Chaney, the caretaker and the assistant, stops him because he doesn't want him to leave. He serves Kerwin, and if he leaves, Kerwin's gone. There's a moment there where Orne insists on giving him the receipts for the week's expenses. You can't leave without leaving a check for the expenses. Well, just write a check now. Just take a second. I'll get the receipt, and he leaves. Charles sends his wife, Anne, out. It's like, I'll catch up with you. And there he is alone in that room with that painting. And never have I been more scared for a character because of the threat of an inanimate object than yeah. right then. Because, I mean, it's a painting. What, sh- what can it do to you? What should it do to you? Well, in this case... Possess your soul. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So it's a neat movie. It's it's fun because it is Lovecraft and, and Price. Price's performance makes oh, it. so good. Really. And yeah. the ending. Now, the, the Edgar Allan Poe, I don't want to spoil it, but the Edgar Allan Poe films... They they have a, a solidish ending. The mm-hmm. the good guys, sure. get, some of the good guys get away, you know. But at the end of this movie, there's a twist, and it ends on a completely different note. And you're just like, man, that poor bastard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and to, just to talk about the story of the book and the difference there in the book, you find out through a series of letters, a doctor is is investigating what happened to mm-hmm. Charles Dexter Ward and who has disappeared and i mean the doctor's in this film too but in this film he's basically the voice of reason yeah you know he's like oh this is all silly and nonsense you know the the people who live here all think that you're going to do the same thing their your ancestor did to their ancestors so but what happened in the book was that charles dexter ward brings joseph Kerwin back to life and reanimates him brings him back to life and is actually murdered by his ancestor who takes his place mm-hmm I mean, and that theme is is ultimately what they're going for here as well, the replacement of Ward with Kerwin, but it's it's done a little differently. Right. And I'm a little surprised by that because typically when you think about adapting Lovecraft, it's hard to adapt Lovecraft as a film because Lovecraft, mm-hmm. while he may spend paragraphs and paragraphs telling you how undescribable something is, I mean, they're really undescribable. These, yeah. these, these things are concepts at best. You know, Cthulhu, Yogg-Sothoth, the Eldritch, this and the, you know, whatever. The, these things are are terrible to behold and cannot be described or, or conversed with. But 
in adapting this story, the case of Charles Chester Ward, that does have a very specific physical action. Kerwin comes back from the dead and kills his descendant. Mm-hmm. They go a completely different route with Haunted Palace. They do make it more cerebral by making it a possession thing and giving Price an opportunity to play two different characters in the same film in the same body. And I think that's an interesting choice, and I don't know if that was a budgetary thing or what, but I think yeah. it, I think I like it better. I do too, and it's, it's kind of interesting because just a few years later you would have The Exorcist, which would be made, which is, of course, the most famous demon possession story. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it was something in the air in the time or what that sort of made possession work um, and be so frightening, but it, it's good. You know, it does. That's a good point. That's a really good point. That it might have just been something out there in the zeitgeist in the pop culture about possession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole Christianity and who knows, you know, what I had to think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a little early for the satanic panic of the 80s, but huh, interesting. Well, I recommend it. And you can get your hands on the Haunted Palace pretty easily. It's in a couple of different box sets on both sides of the pond. You know, the version I watched was a UK release from Arrow Video. The version you watched was the release that Scream Factory put out. Shout Factory. That's right. Scream yeah. Factory. The Blu ray. Yeah. yeah. Shout Factory. And they both have a commentary track. Kim Newman does about a half-hour talk on the Arrow video version on the film and what went into making the movie. And I'm not sure what's on mine. I didn't watch it. I think it was the Tom Weaver commentary track, possibly. But it's definitely good, and I think it'll enhance your love of Lovecraft if you're a fan. I think if you don't know anything about Lovecraft, that's okay, too, because you'll still get to enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely worth watching. It's just a solid movie and mm-hmm. and fits in well with the rest of the Corman Poe series. It Although really does. it is slightly different, a little bit different tone, but it definitely it's definitely a, a worthy addition. Some of the production design is, is similar in spots. I mean it you feel like maybe where they shot the Raven Sis over the hill. But, yeah, I mean, it, it feels a little different, but it fits in enough. So if you're going for a double feature, you know. Yeah, and you can recognize, like, the, the basement set looks like the one from Pit and the Pendulum, you know. Right. So, I mean, you can sort of see where the reason – but the sets are huge in this. Oh, I mean, God, in the yes. Haunted Palace, the palace is gi- – the sets are gigantic inside hmm. the interiors. Yeah, and there are some shots towards the end. While the, when the palace is coming down, there are some shots that were actually appeared in previous Corman Poe films to kind of show the destruction of the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with the water coming in, that sort of thing. I can't remember which movie they took it from, but I mean, he was saving some money here and there, which is fine. It blends in really well. And if I wasn't told that, I wouldn't have picked up on it right away. Yeah, this is good. Costumes are good. Sets are good. Uh, music's fantastic. And Price the is amazing. all good. Yeah. yeah. Price is amazing. And it's Lon Chaney Jr. and Vincent Price on screen together, working together. I mean, come on. Yeah. This is two of the big names of Golden Age Horror. That right there is enough to mm-hmm. sell most people, I think. Sold. <laughs> absolutely alright so I want to thank you Larry for joining me to talk about Lovecraft a little bit and the Haunted Palace on this Cthulhu Thursday episode of Monster Kid Radio uh, we'll have you back on the show proper I'm sure at some point we have so many things that we <laughs> listeners Larry and I actually keep in touch by email all the time and I would say that not a week goes by that something comes up and one of us is like we should talk about this on the show that's true. <laughs> I should start taking notes or go through my my archive of my in my inbox and see because we've got so much that we can talk about. So we'll have you back on the show at some point, I'm sure. Sounds great. I highly recommend you get your hands on a copy of this movie. 
Larry's got a copy. I've got a copy. And I'm sure we're going to revisit this movie down the line because it really is a good one. I think probably one of the best Vincent Price, Roger Corman collaborations. You can find Larry online at drgangreen.com. And this is where he posts the latest episodes of his web series, the Rondo Award nominated series, The Fantastic Films of Vincent Price. As of this recording, he just covered the movie The Keys of the Kingdom. If you're not familiar with this series, you need to go check it out. You're going to learn a lot about Vincent Price's career as Larry goes through each and every film appearance of the master. The nights are darker. And night is when it happens in the Dunwich Horror. Come back, old one, princes of darkness, and repossess the earth. The Dunwich Horror, based on H.P. Lovecraft's terrifying tale of those who explore the unspeakable. Starring Sandra Dee, Dean Stockwell, Academy Award winner Ed Begley, Sam Jaffe, the history of horrendipity written here. The love story of a girl looking to the future and a boy dedicated to the mysteries of the past. He invokes the unspeakable. Yeah. Safa. She invites it. You're one of us now. Depthless paradise of terror, where fear eternal lives. And the dead come to life. I've never heard anything like that. slowly getting back on track here on Monster Kid Radio. Last week I had to take the week off because I was sick. So we're going to get back on track with a recording that I did with Mitch Gonzalez. He's the man who makes the monsters for filmmaker Christopher R. Mim. We have a conversation with him talking about robots in monster movies, as well as the robot design that he created for the movie Danny Johnson Saves the World. It's available now over at St. Euphoria. Com. So come back next week for that. If you need more Monster Kid Radio between now and then, go to our website at monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. Here we have links to everything like our live 365 internet radio station, our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help us meet some more of those milestones. 
We also have a link to our Facebook group where people are having conversations about monster movies between episodes. You can go join the group there. Of course, we also have a Facebook page you can go like. Now, over on the right-hand side of the page, you can subscribe in the Monster Rally Checkpoint, which is our monthly e-newsletter here on Monster Kid Radio. And if you are a Toho-level or higher patron on Patreon, you get the newsletter early. Our contact information can be found over at the website as well. But in case you want it right now, monsterkidradio at gmail.com is our email address. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you have anything you'd like to say about this episode or the previous 209, well, feel free to send it my way. Let's go ahead and wrap up. I want to play that song from Wave Sauce in full. Before we do that, though, I want to let you know that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Deep Surf because that belongs to Wave Sauce. It's on their album, Stop Go! You can find them over at wavesauce.com. Let them know that you heard about them over here on Monster Kid Radio because the song appears with their permission. Talk to everybody next week.